0: So, this evening, we are continuing in our sermon series going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is a big block of Jesus' teachings in the Gospel of Matthew that he delivered on a mountain, hence the name. Um, and it's Jesus's, what are we calling it? Jesus's blueprint for life. Like, this is, this is Jesus saying, because of the cross, because I've set you free, then you get to live in a completely different, new way. And it wasn't just completely different for first century Jews and normal for us. It's completely different for us as well. Like, actually, this is Jesus being like, you can live in a way that is not like your human nature way. I have a different way for you to live the way of the cross, and I will teach you what it is. So we are going to look at some of that. Um, So the passage that we're looking at is Matthew 5. Um, verses 38 to 42, which is on page 970 in the Red Bibles and other pages on your other Bibles. Um, And I'll just read it, and we'll go from there. So Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, it is. Um, So this bit has been used to debate a whole load of stuff about use of force on like national and global scales. That is not what I'm gonna talk about, but it is very interesting, so if you wanna talk about it, grab me afterwards. Um, but Jesus, in all of his teaching, he's, he really resists the like the hypothetical, you know? I don't know about you, but I, I love to think about things hypothetically. I'm like, so you're saying that if, in this ridiculous scenario that will never happen, this thing happened, I should blah, 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 blah. And if it's hypothetical, I don't need to engage with it really. And Jesus isn't really very down for that, and he doesn't doesn't do that. He's not speaking about hypothetical, theoretical things. He's speaking to actual people who are trying to follow his way about situations that are actually happening to them. So I guarantee this is relevant to you. Um, just because someone hasn't grabbed you outside Mill Road and forced you to walk for a mile, this still counts. This is not just about physical violence. This is not just about the situations that are in this passage. This is about how to respond to conflict or injustice or evil. Like, basically, how to respond to broken people, given that we are also broken. So, quite small and definitely relevant for all of us. Um, So, he says, "'You have heard it said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth.'" This is a quote directly from Jewish law. You find it in Exodus 21 and Leviticus 24, and Deuteronomy 19, and probably a bunch of other places as well. Um, And the full verse is like, "'Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, foot for foot, hand for hand.'" (laughs) Lots of examples. and initially, it's, it sounds pretty brutal, and it kind of is. I mean, it's literally saying if someone you know, damages your eye, you should take their eye out, um, which doesn't sound great. But I just want to flag up one thing here about um, human nature, or what I, think, what I can see in my own nature, which is that, in general, I actually do not want justice if something bad happens to, to me. I'm not, I don't want justice. I tend to go for revenge, which is bigger and worse. So I have two siblings, um, and I've got a younger sister who I love deeply. She's not here. But the reality is, back in the day, or now, you know, if she punches me, I don't carefully calibrate my return punch to be exactly the same, so that we're even. (laughs) I (laughs) Shut up! I carefully calibrate my return punch so that we're even, and then I stamp on her foot just for good measure to prove that she never should have done it in the first place because that's awful, and she's a terrible person. She's not. Um, but this, I, this is how I respond to things. You know, I don't actually really want justice. I tend to want to one-up someone who has hurt me. Um, and that is what this is about. So this eye-for-eye, tooth-for-tooth is saying, just, just keep it in check. Don't go from a broken tooth to a whole burnt-down village, because everyone will die. So for its time, actually, it's pretty progressive. And really, in comparison to human nature, I think it's pretty, it's pretty decent. That's actually not what we normally would go for. Um, but it, it doesn't, it's not going to bring any change. The best that it can do is guarantee, like, an endless chain of violence that's all the same size but it's not, it's not going to change anything. It's not going to get rid of it. Um, and Jesus says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. That's the New International Version, which is the red versions that we've got. Um, and Tom Wright, who is a renowned biblical New Testament scholar guy, um, actually translates it, do not use violence to resist evil. So the don't resist, Jesus is not saying it doesn't matter, or I don't care, or don't engage, or just pretend that it didn't happen, or lie down and don't do anything. Actually, he's, he's saying, don't, don't respond in kind. Don't retaliate. Um, so Romans 12, um, verses, so verse 17 in Romans 12 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Um, Verse 19 says, don't take revenge for it is written, it's mine to avenge and I will repay, says the Lord. Um, Verse 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Um, In 1 Peter 2, there's an example of Jesus doing this. So when Jesus was suffering, it says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So there's no suggestion in any of this that God does not care about evil. And that's really important. God does care about evil. He does care about injustice. He does care about violence. And he's not saying that we shouldn't care either. But it is completely unequivocal. Like, it, it's completely clear that we don't respond with evil. That is not the way to do it. Because God is just, we can let God judge, but we don't get to respond with evil. Um, I think in general, as humans, certainly I, I'm pretty keen to say that the end justifies the means. And I'm like, But the the provocation justifies the sin, you know. My mom comes in and is like, why are you hitting her? And I'm like, well, she hit me first. I am in this awful situation, and that is why I am doing this kind of awful thing. But it's because of this. Um, And Jesus says that doesn't, doesn't work. We don't get to do that, no matter how bad the thing is that we're in. Um... So, if we don't get to do this, we can't respond with evil, even exactly fitting, carefully measured, tightly calibrated evil, what are we supposed to do instead? Um, I I don't know about you, but I have two basic modes of response to conflict, or to injury, or injustice. Um, So, one, I'm going to call doormatting. So, I am like a doormat, and I just... I'm like, this is too big, this is too awful, and I'm never going to be able to change it, so I'm just going to lie down and I'm just going to take it, and I I won't try and change it, and I won't object, and I'll just shut up and hope that it stops. Um, And it's characterized by apathy and despair and resignation, often quite a lot of bitterness, um, often a fair amount of secretly being like, maybe I actually deserve this like, actually, it's probably not that bad. Maybe you don't do that, but it's, it's not a winner. Don't do it. Um, but, yeah, I, I doormat, and I protect myself from the injury or the pain or the conflict by just shutting down and not really engaging at all. On the other occasions, when I don't doormat, when my sister smacks me in the face, the poor girl, she's going to listen to this, never mind. When my sister smacks me, and, and I'm like, no, I don't deserve this, then, I retaliate, and I'm like, cool, if I didn't deserve this, you are a terrible person, and I'm going to hurt you just as much as you hurt me, and then some more, just for good measure, Um, and I will protect myself by responding in kind and preemptively striking, or whatever. So I have these two modes of response. One is to pretend that it's not happening and doesn't matter, and the other is to join in and win. And neither of these are very efficient as, as means of dealing with violence or evil. Um, neither of them make space for anything different or for anything to change. But fortunately, Jesus doesn't just say, "You know, don't resist an evil person. He gives us four examples of how we are to respond, four examples of what the way of the cross looks like in dealing with conflict. Um, so, example number one, Um, is the most memorable one, I think. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek. So it's very specific, and it's very specific because it was a very specific uh, context. So in first century Jewish context, slapping someone on the right cheek was like a backhanded slap, um, and it was the action of a superior to an inferior. So it wasn't just a slap in the face, it was a deeply humiliating insult and statement about your identity. Quite bad. Um, so surely there's two ways to respond. You take the slap, you pretend you didn't notice, you don't make eye contact and you walk home, you do mat. Or you smack them right back and you end up brawling in the street outside Alameen or whatever. Um, but Jesus says turn the other cheek also. So if I've just backhanded slapped someone, I kind of wanted to get someone up to demonstrate, but I won't. Um, if I have just backhanded slapped someone, actually, if they turn their other cheek to me, and they're still engaging with me, I really have two choices in that moment. I could not do anything, and I could walk away from the situation and choose to, like, not hit them, or I could punch them in the face, those are pretty much, you know, if I've just hit someone, and they're like... Those are basically my two options. I could punch them, or I could choose to walk away. So it's pretty high-risk, um, but this response does three key things, I think. So it claims dignity. It insists that you are treated as an equal. It's like, no, don't, don't you hit me on my right cheek, you will hit me on my left cheek, just like I'm... as though we're the same. It claims dignity. Um, It really highlights it, it it shows the the superiority complex, it shows what's actually really happening there, and it leaves space for a change of heart. Which might be dumb, you might get smacked in the face, but it does. This This is the way that leaves space for a change of heart. You turn your cheek and you wait. Example number two, we're in a legal situation, we're in a courtroom, and he says, if someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, so first-century Jews would have a few shirts, it was like the undergarment that they wore, Um, and again, surely we would think there are two responses if someone tries to sue you. You give them your shirt, and you go home, and you try and not irritate them again, or you're like, no, I'm going to take you to court and I'm going to take your shirt and all of your shirts and your wife's shirts or, or whatever. <laughs> Maybe you don't do that. Uh, but, you know, actually you can engage in the courtroom battle or you can give them your shirt. But Jesus says, hand over your coat as well. First century Jews are not like us. They didn't have 10 coats that all look different and go with different outfits. They had one. Um, And actually, in Exodus 22, um, it's written that it's illegal, it's against Jewish law to take somebody's coat and hold it overnight, because the coat also doubled as a blanket. So this coat is a big deal. It's a violation of their rights to take it, because it will leave them vulnerable and exposed and poor. Um, And Jesus says, cool, if someone wants to take your shirt, you give them your coat as well, just do it. And again, you know, this, it reclaims your dignity. It says, I'm, I'm not giving you this because I have to, I'm giving you this because I choose to. It might leave you standing naked in the street, but it reclaims some form of dignity. <laughs> um, and it exposes their greed and their ruthlessness, and it, it says, this is what you are doing to me. Watch. <laughs> this, this is costly. Um, and it makes space for a change of heart. They might be like, no, you're alright, actually, it doesn't matter, keep your shirt cool, I'm out. They might. They might see what they're doing and they might change. Or they might take your coat and your shirt and you have to walk home naked. Also an option. So it's it's a seriously risky strategy. Um, Option, example number three, Jesus says, if someone forces you to go one mile, so, Roman soldiers at the time, under Roman law, were allowed to compel any random bystander who wasn't a Roman citizen to carry their burdens for a mile. Um, actually, so when Jesus is being crucified um, and they make Simon carry the cross, that's, that's this. They just pick you out of the crowd and they say, you've got to do it. Um, and again, I would have thought there are two responses. You carry the burden, you hand over your shopping to your friend, and you say, I'll see you at home in whoever knows how long, and off you go. Um, and you just try and not make eye contact with Roman soldiers and hope that it doesn't happen. Or, actually, you can fight back. There were Jewish sects around at the time. One of them was called the Sicarii, like the dagger men, and you know, they would go around with daggers in their socks, and then they'd just you know, sneak up to a Roman guy in the crowd and just cut his throat and then just blend back in. <laughs> You could, you know, fighting back was an option, but Jesus says if they make you go one mile, you get to the first mile marker and you just keep going. You do another one, freely given and potentially not recognized or appreciated. Actually, the reality is it claims your dignity back, it exposes the corruption of Roman oppression And it makes space, you know, maybe you'll end up, maybe they'll be like, what are you doing? You know you don't have to do this. And you'll be like, actually, I know this guy Jesus, and he said that we should do this. Maybe that will happen, or maybe they'll just make you you know, carry their burdens for another mile and they won't notice. But this is the only long-term strategy, it's the only long-term play that leaves space for change and for the humanizing of the enemy and for... Um, yeah, for, for something new to grow. Um, so continually, Jesus is really clear. He says, don't doormat. Don't just lie over and take it, and don't retaliate. But instead, you have to, we get to keep a sense of our own dignity. We get to um, expose like what is happening. We get to engage with what is going on, and we get to have hope that something might change. This is not just saying, don't do evil. This is like this ridiculous, risky, very risky, radical generosity that we get to do instead. And it makes space for change. It's the only thing, in fact, I think, that makes space for change, but crucially, it does not guarantee it. I think that's quite important. I generally will do something if I'm guaranteed of its effectiveness. You know, if I think carrying a burden some an extra mile will guarantee that this Roman soldier will change his mind, I'd probably do it. But if I don't know, I might not. Um, this it really is the way of the cross. You know, Romans 5 verse 8 says that Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. And he did that without any guarantee that we would change. And some of us don't. Um, It's it's really costly. He gave it all. He risked huge, you know, risked and underwent huge personal sacrifice to make space for something new to happen. Um, And then he waited and he has hope. And that's what we get to do. And then if the first three examples weren't enough, Jesus gives us a final one. Um, So the first three are an example of how to engage with oppression or injustice or conflict that you really cannot escape. You know, someone has hit you in the face, it is too late, you are in that situation now. Um, But the fourth one, um, the power balance has shifted. And Jesus says, give to the one who asks from you. in this example, actually, we, we are the ones with power, with economic power. Um, and this is injustice or Im- imbalance that we could choose to ignore. We don't have to engage with this. We could choose to ignore it. So this verse, it says, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. It's a massive verse um, I could preach well, I couldn't, someone else could preach a whole sermon on it and there have been whole books written on it. But ultimately, this is Jesus calling us to the same radical, risky, ridiculous, really, generosity. Um, It's generosity that gives dignity to the people who are asking. It's generosity that makes space for an engagement and means that we get to see them as people. And it's generosity that makes space for something to change, maybe. If we don't do that, actually, probably nothing will change because we're not engaging. Now, crucially, it does all of these things without requiring a guarantee of effectiveness. Um, that's For me, that's a real, that's a real stumbling block, actually. Um, there's a lot that can be said about this verse, and um, obviously, there's a real need for wisdom when we're being generous like this. But what there is not a need for is what I have a lot of, which is cynicism disguised as wisdom, or fear disguised as wisdom, or awkwardness or judgment, or disgust disguised as wisdom. In all of these situations, um, I have lots of those things, but God's wisdom is not the same as our wisdom. yeah, regardless of what end of the oppression, evil, conflict, injustice we find ourselves on, um, Jesus is calling us not to use evil for anything ever. The bar is really high. The situation never justifies the sin ever. Um, He's calling us to give and to claim the dignity that we have as his children. That's what means that we get to do this. If we didn't know that, none of this would really work. Um, He's calling us to engage with people who are difficult, with situations that are difficult. Not to doormat, not to retaliate, but to have hope, to create space for something new to happen, and to wait. And the reality is sometimes you will go the extra mile and no one will notice or care. Or sometimes you will lose your shirt and your coat. Or you will just get hit in the face twice (laughs) instead of once. Um, But this is the way that Jesus points us to. And he not only teaches us it, but he demonstrates it to the ultimate lengths. You know, he died in order to make space for a world where sin does not just self perpetuate, but it's is broken. The power of sin is actually broken by the power of the cross. He's redefining what it is to have power and showing us a new way of wielding it. Um, and honestly, it's really difficult. Like, I just want to recognize that. I'm not putting all this in front of you and saying, off you go, no problems here. Um, The passage after this one, whoever's preaching next week, gets to finish with the verse, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Humanly speaking, this is not possible because our human nature is pretty flawed. But... Jesus has come to make these things possible. Humanly speaking, I am afraid, so I don't do this very well. Or I am exhausted, so I don't do this very well or at all. Or I doubt my own dignity, so I don't even bother trying to do this. Or I am consumed with bitterness, so I don't, I don't try and do this. This can only be done through Jesus and through his spirit. Galatians 5 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Romans 8, verses 14 to 15 says, All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the Spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the Spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And it's this spirit, (coughs) and it's that identity that makes this way of the cross like a way that we get to walk. Um, So he teaches and he demonstrates an astonishingly challenging response to evil, to sin. Um, The bar is really high. Um, but we are not, we're not left to strive for it alone. Um, and there's grace. You know, he, he died not just so that we get to aim for this, but to pay for all the times that we don't meet it.